0: Numbers 21, I want you to notice, verse 5 of our text, the redeemed people of God, they did something that was so foolish that it led to an immediate and fierce judgment. Verse 5 says, and the people spake against God. Well, there's the folly, there's the sin, and why in the world, with the same people whom God delivered from Egypt was about to deliver them again, why would they speak against God and also speak against the man that God used to help lead and deliver them. Verse 5 again, and the people spake against God and against Moses. So again, there's the disobedience and there's the foolishness of God's people. And of course, here's the judgment that followed because of that folly. Verse 6, and the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, what? We have sinned. How did they sin? Well, they admitted it. For we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Well, there again, you see the folly and the judgment. This people have spoken against God, and God sent them, of all things, fiery serpents. I just have one question. How did they speak against God? What blasphemy, what rebellion, what accusation or slander did they say against the Lord that would cause God to send these fiery serpents? Well, that part might surprise you. Verse 6, and the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore, the people said to Moses, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. They asked God to take the serpents away. But what was it that they said? What was the sin? How did they speak against God? That's in verse 5. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore, have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Here it is. For there is no bread. Neither is there any water. Our soul loatheth this light bread. Now, wait a minute. The bread? You'll notice, by the way, that the bread is mentioned twice, and I'll tell you why. Because back in chapter 11 of the same book, it was the same bread It was, in fact, the manna that came down from heaven that the people complained about. And it says in that text, the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. And the next line says, Moses also was displeased. So I guess all you moms and you dads who get upset when your kids complain about the food, you're in very good company. Amen? You realize it was the Lord Jesus himself who quoted and referred to this very text in John chapter 3 when he was talking to Nicodemus about being born again. After all, the Lord Jesus himself was present here at the scene. He heard all of the complaints in the wilderness. And if you're here this morning and you're wondering what in the world is so bad, what's so egregious to complain about manna in the wilderness, and why this story, by the way, is so noted in the Scripture Old Testament and New, then let's just all take a few moments. Let's consider these texts and speak on the subject, Loathing, Your Blessings. Father, help us now to understand that you don't always send fiery serpents among your people when they complain. You do not always smite an Ananias and Sapphira in a church when they lie to the Holy Spirit. You do not always send fire and brimstone down from heaven When a city is vile. But you have done these things in your word and recorded them in times in history to teach us and remind us that this is how you always feel about these things. That you're a holy God. May we understand the import of this today. Please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Three things I want you to consider this morning in this text to consider about the blessings, the kindness, and the gifts of God. After all, the manna that God sent down to these people in the wilderness was as blessed and it was as kind as any good and perfect gift that could ever come from above. Three things. The first thing I want you to notice about his blessings is, number one, to survey them. Survey, beloved, as in appraise. In other words, look at all of the blessings, which manna was, you look at all the blessings from God's hand and you take time and consider them very carefully. In fact, let me read to you, I mentioned that text in Numbers chapter 11, let me read to you how God describes the manna in his own word, his manna in his own word. And the manna was as coriander seed, and the color thereof is the color of delium, sort of like a resin color. And the people went about and gathered it and ground it in mills and beat it into mortar and baked it in pans and made cakes of it, and the taste of it was as the taste of fresh oil. Here is Exodus. The house of Israel called the name of it manna, and it was like coriander seed, white. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Wait a minute. Fresh oil, white resin color tastes like honey. Wafers, that's obviously Krispy Kreme donuts. Right? Amen. Psalm 78 says that man did eat angels' food, the corn of heaven. Frosted flakes, I'm telling you, it's right here in the Bible. Now, this is God's description, but remember how the complainers saw it by the time they get to this point in verse 5, our soul loatheth this light bread. You know, I kind of have an understanding about food and especially sweets. If it says light in the description, have some light key lime pie or some light banana pudding, the word light is not a good thing, amen, obviously. The reason God's people considered the manna light and loathsome is that God had given it to them in abundance. Every morning, it was time to make the donuts. Every morning, they got it together. I'm reminded of something that Solomon said in the book of Proverbs. He said these words, the full soul, full, loatheth and honeycomb." But to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Now, folks, just think about that in light of our first point of surveying God's blessings. That issue, the issue stated by Solomon in that text, both of which are illustrations of our text and of spiritual truth. A, there's the full soul. That's these people. And B, there's the hungry soul. One looks at something that is sweet. And tasty and near perfect and they despise it. They despise it. The other one looks at that which is bitter and unappealing and actually loves it and desires it. I'll put it this way. When you're actually starving and you have not had it in a long time, a quarter pounder from McDonald's is really amazing, right? It's just awesome. But if you're stuffed and you just finished a Thanksgiving dinner up to here, here, You've stuffed yourself to your gills, and somebody brings you a big plate of roast turkey and gravy, you cringe. The old German proverb says, hunger is the best sauce. Everything tastes better when you're starving. On the other hand, the other person who's indulged himself... He's gone way past to the point of being full, as some of you are going to be in a couple of weeks. There's nothing that looks good or tastes good at that moment. And, of course, the spiritual application to all of this is throughout the Bible. Hear me carefully. When God gave his people manna every day for 40 years, they survived on it. For every meal, eventually that perfect angel's food, to them, the food didn't change. To them, that became a curse. They hated it. They griped about it. And as you well know, then they clamored for flesh. Meat. And so God sent them flesh. He sent them meat every day for every meal for a whole month. And guess what happened? The word loatheth, you see that in verse 5? That is the same description God uses in Numbers 11.20 when he says about the meat, it shall come out of your nostrils and be loathsome unto you. And it is then... In the same verse, that God applies the physical condition to a spiritual truth. You may remember in Luke chapter 15, Jesus gives the story of the prodigal son. He's hungry, he's destitute. He's far now away from the former world of the abundance of food that he grew up in in his house. And now the Bible says, feeding merely on the husks that the pigs themselves wouldn't even eat. The Bible says that he longs, he yearns, not for a fatted calf. He doesn't yearn for a feast, which is what they would have in his father's house. It says he yearned for the bread. Just the bread. Luke 15, 17, I perish with hunger. And how many of the hired servants of my father's house have bread enough? This is why just 19 days until Thanksgiving Day, today is, I want my heart to be right, and I want my heart to be grateful before that day. And beloved, I don't want us, I don't want us to wait until a date on a calendar to survey, take time to count our blessings, to survey God's blessings. Forget about being grateful on the 24th. Let's be grateful going into the 24th. And you know how to do that? Biblically, it's just perspective. It's just truth. Okay. Look, this is the statement. This is the reality of the human nature. Okay, it's true. When you're full, you take things for granted and you murmur. That's human nature. That's the flesh. But as believers... We're not called to simply fall back and accept things by our human nature. It's human nature to hate your enemy. That's what everybody does. Jesus said you have a new nature. You love your enemies. You've been called to a higher standard. So guess what? When life gives you light bread instead of meat or quail, then as a Christian, you're supposed to do, beloved, the spiritual thing. The godly thing, the supernatural thing. And that is survey what you have. Look at it. Look at it through spiritual eyes. The same thing is true when life gives you all meat and God would send them quail day after day after day and not bread. You survey that, but you do it always with spiritual discernment and you are still, therefore, and always grateful. Put it this way. When the Israelites were out in the wilderness, did you ever notice? You've read the stories. Did you ever notice that regardless of what they had, they always complained about it? When they didn't have much, they murmured and complained. Oh, we missed the leeks and the garlics in Egypt. Did they really? Oh, the leeks. When they had a lot, a whole lot. They still complain. Pastor, I just don't understand. I've worked hard my whole life, and I've struggled, and I've scratched, and I've labored, and all I have to show for it now is a cupboard full of light bread. And it's not fair, Pastor. My other family members, they have Omaha steaks, and crab legs, and Hoffman's chocolates. My dream meal right there, amen? I, I just stated it. Okay. Then why don't you survey this? Understand the truth that to a lot of people, what you have, what you have right now, and despise would be a glory to them. The Irish, my forebears, took their potatoes for granted until a mold decimated the crop in 1845. And over a million of them starved to death. And another two million of them had to leave. And would have died if they didn't leave in abject poverty. It's a reminder to me that Christians don't have to loathe their blessings because it is true. What you have and despise is also that, that to someone else is a glorious thing and greatly valued. I was driving our old church van the other day. The old one, 100,000 miles nearly. The church was gifted this van 16 years ago, and driving it, you know, it's kind of loose. It's not like those two nice new ones we got. And you know, I was thinking, 100 years ago, this van would be the envy of anybody on the face of the earth. That 100 years ago, millionaires did not travel with the comfort of an air-conditioning or the speed, especially I was driving, the speed and the quiet ride of that white wonder that sits in the back parking lot. That means that for the first 6,000 years of human history, no man with riches or thrones could have had the luxury that you and I do have right now with just driving whatever you have, that worn out old van. Your car. Now I know it sounds trite, But it's still a flat-out reality, beloved, that if you're complaining about driving a five-year-old car because your neighbor got a brand-new BMW, you're missing some perspective. We're talking about billions of people now and everybody for 6,000 years that never had anything remotely close to the luxuries that you and I have at this very moment. I'm reminded of the definition of poverty now in the United States of America. You know, we have something called the poverty line. People today who are classified as poor in America, not in the world, but people today who literally are classified as poor have a car, cell phones, flat screen TVs, a roof over the heads, and cable. This is not an exaggeration. Those are all considered things luxuries. They're not considered luxuries below the poverty line. I remember Brother Jim used to sit right here. He's in heaven now. I was sitting in his living room one day, and we were looking at old pictures of him in Greece. And he told me how when he was a boy in Greece, the Nazis had blockaded his country. Wouldn't allow anything in and anything out. And he said, Our people began to starve, and he watched his father feed his family scraps until he saw his dad emaciated, and then finally he starved to death. He said, Pastor, as a child, you could count every other house. You just go that one, that one, that one, and the man of that house starved to death. That's poor. He was 11 years old, he said, I put a little tray around my neck with a rope and a wooden box and I walked around and I gathered up little buttons and needles and anything. I just walked the streets all day long. My father was gone. We had to have something for food. And I would buy these, I would find these little things and I would try to sell them for a drachma just to get enough food for one meal. You know, when I see our college students On our campuses today and listen to them. I'm not talking about Lauren or Barry. You guys are excluded. You're not like this at all. I'm talking about the ones who needed safe spaces, you may remember, at the 2016 election. How many remember those? Not that long ago, I remember they were so traumatized by the outcome of an American election that their colleges provided places on campuses to grieve. They had these signs, I remember, that said, cry with us. University of Michigan, Cornell, University of Connecticut. They had these rooms full of of literal puppies and kittens and coloring books. Wait till next Tuesday. They had had bubbles, you know, blow bubbles, and Play-Doh, pillows and blankets and cookies and milk. Literally, these places, safe places where they could go and cuddle with their friends, it's basically our nursery over there. Because they were, quote, damaged. They were damaged by that election. Their viewpoint was invalidated. And they couldn't handle it. You know, do you realize that how many times a day, every day of my life, the media, academia, and elections, and the courts invalidate what I believe in this book? And make fun of it and ridicule it and hate it. White Christian man, that's me right here, a white old Christian man, that's all I hear every day. I'm Where's my safe place? That's what I wanna know. Just put Krispy Kreme's in there, amen, I'll be happy. And before, in a sense, any election, it's the same. 18, 19 years of age, they're complaining and protesting that they're offended. And their feelings are hurt, and there's so many, quote, "injustices," the most coddled, spoiled people in the entire history of the world in an extremely spoiled nation, and they're making demands while they attend classes. When I see that and I hear that, what I know right away is that they have lost all perspective, all perspective. Survey what you have. Survey. Look at it. Count your many blessings. Not in the light of the carnal, but in the light of the eternal. It brings us to the second thing in the text. Savor your blessings. First you survey them. You have to do that, and then you savor them. It's, it's amazing to me that the last line of verse 5 says, Our soul loatheth. Loatheth? This light bread, this good gift literally came from above. Literally. I'm always reminded when I read this of 1 Timothy 6.17, the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. God literally wanted his people to enjoy. And what he wanted them to enjoy, they loathed it. In other words, everything that you have that is enjoyable. The Bible says, the scripture says, God gave it to you so that you would enjoy it. I go out to eat with people often and sometimes I see people enjoy it. Sometimes people just complain about it. Which ones do you think I enjoy being with the most? (laughs) Rich nations like America have and possess far more things that are enjoyable than anyone else in the world. They have it, but it doesn't mean they enjoy any of it. Just because They had manna, but they no longer enjoyed it. I mentioned those college students, of which Barry and Lauren are not a part of. <laughs> Some of them don't really enjoy anything. There are young people in this room. You don't really enjoy anything. That's not the blessing's fault. That's not the giver's fault. It's actually a sin. Ingratitude is the root sin, according to Romans 1, that leads a society into complete destruction. When Rome, for example, indulged, and they knew how to indulge. And when Rome indulged in everything to excess, they indulged in everything, but they enjoyed nothing nothing. Proverbs 17.1 better is a dry morsel, a crumb and quietness therewith than a house full of sacrifices but with strife. You know that was written by the richest man in the world who, who knew. People say pastor we were happier. This happens a lot. We were really happier when we had a little shack And no money in the bank. Life was better when we struggled. Really? Why? Because it's human nature, Pastor. And thank God you have a new nature. Right? Go back to your first love. Be grateful for what you have. Be humble about what you have. Be spiritual about what you have. And then enough will be as good as a feast. The pilgrim said, To know To know when you are well off is the cure for the canker of envy and discontent. Well, I know I've been well off since I was a little boy. To know that you're well off, do you know it? To the spiritual soul, to the new nature, it's not what you have. It's what you enjoy and what you're grateful for that you have. And I would admonish you this today as a believer Appreciate what you have before time makes you appreciate what you had. Appreciate what you have now, even your health. William Thackeray wrote these words, next to excellence is the appreciation of it. Well, folks, Christians are immersed in excellence Not just some fleeting temporal excellence, but eternal excellence. Folks, we have have this book. We have the word of God, the eternal scriptures. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of the saints, the New Testament church, citizenship in heaven, promise of of protection. We have eternal life and the gift of prayer and a new song in our mouth. We have a holy purpose. Every believer has a personal purpose. Relationship with Jesus Christ himself as a child of God, but not every believer appreciates or savors it. And the reason why the people don't savor what they have is they don't survey, appreciate what they have. Which brings me to the last thing, the third one, about the blessings of God. Number three, share what you have. Survey, savor, and share. You know, one of the interesting things about manna and God's giving of it in the Bible, there were instructions, was that it was not allowed to be hoarded up. It was new every morning, just like God's mercies. It came with the dew. But nobody had more stockpiles of it than anybody else. And when people tried to pile it up, it just rotted and bred a bunch of worms. The command was to get enough for you, your family, The neighbors, make sure the sick and the invalid, and the Sabbath. And of course, it's a great picture. That One of the greatest ways to savor something, beloved, is to simply share it. When I was 14 years of age, I was able to go on a -a two-and-a-half-week missions trip to Monterey, Mexico. We had to work for a whole year and earn the points in our Sunday school class and youth group to earn this trip. It was way up in the mountains of Monterey where in 1973, there was a lot of poverty and a lot of of hardship. Our family at the time lived where I got saved, near Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And so Bible Baptist Church had a lot of soldiers that would meet in our church. Brother Terry was a soldier, and when he came back from Vietnam, he was a blessing and, and served in the same church where I got saved just a couple years later, small world. A few of these soldiers were able to get several big boxes of C-rations for our trip. You got to feed 35 young people for almost three weeks. World War II, I think they were called K-rations. Now they're called MREs. And these rations were packaged in those days among, for, for the, the, the time of the Vietnam War. And so these guys at Fort Bragg said, here, take these, use them for your trip. And I remember, man, I sat in the back of that bus and I looked at all these rations, and I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. A soldier Jim, I'm gonna eat this stuff. Wait a minute! Every day, at every meal, at every roadside stop. Hey, can we go on the gas station? No, no, you got. That's what the rations are for. Find something. Ours were all MCIs. They were Meal Combat Individual. And you could tell it was pretty outdated stuff. Some of them had little cans of processed meat that we knew was spam. Not the emails from the Nigerian prince, okay, for you young people. (laughs) The food. You know, spam was invented in 1937 by Jay Hormel. He noticed that a lot of good pork shoulder meat was going to waste and his processing plant there in Minnesota. And so he decided to add some ham to it and then include a few spices and then he packed it in little rectangular cans. And they had a contest among his employees. Who could name it? And the the winning name was a combination of spiced ham. It was shortened form of SPAM. Of course, through the years, people have made other acronyms, especially processed army meat, super pink artificial meat, SPAM, Squirrel, possum, and mouse, I've heard them all. (laughs) My dad called it something that I'm not allowed to say in the pulpit this morning. (laughs) But it's just pork and salt. And it was cheap, especially back in 1940, five cents a can, and so all the protein and the fat, they shipped this stuff to our soldiers, 150 million cans, just in the Second World War. The Russians loved it. Khrushchev was a soldier at the time he made these, this statement, quote, We could have never defeated Hitler without feeding our soldiers on that glorious spam. <laughs> That's a Russian for you right there, amen? <laughs> glorious. Mom and I were discussing spam yesterday. And I remember mom was pretty creative with it. She said, Yes, she said, Jimmy, it's delicious. It was delicious with scalloped potatoes and peas and she told me they went to a squadron party and we were living in Turkey at the time and, and the chef ordered this amazing ham salad and they all wanted the recipe, you know how the ladies are, and he said it's just chopped up Spam. You may remember we would take the key, and you know a little key, and you'd turn it all the way around. And then you turn it upside down, and, and it would come out. Ready to eat right there, boy. Glorious. Well, anyway, back to the mission trip. (laughs) It didn't take long, day after day after day, eating this stuff. We're teenagers, folks. And it didn't take long for us young people to start complaining about it. I mean, all the rations. Complaining. We got way up into these mountains, and we got amongst these barefoot, poverty-stricken, the sweetest little Mexican kids. Fell in love with them. Didn't want to leave. Always smiling. Always happy. Always singing with smiles in their faces. One night, we decided, hey, we got all this, these sea rations. And no one way not to go back to North Carolina with them, amen? So we decided we would share them. And as we did with trepidation, I'm going to try this, we were shocked. They didn't like them. They loved them. I mean, they absolutely were in awe of every bite, of every part of what we were loathing. I remember one of our teenagers said, they love it. What's wrong with these people? And our translator said, you mean, what's wrong with you? And you know, for the next several days, the more we shared it, the more I started to appreciate it. The more I realize, you know what, this is good stuff. There's nothing wrong with this stuff. This is a gift that someone gave us. The more I realize how blessed we were. You know, John Chapman was a real person. John Chapman was the son of a a Minuteman in Concord with George Washington. And he did go west to Ohio. And he did do missionary work as he traveled. He really did. He really did change completely the landscape of the entire Ohio Valley because he spread apple seeds wherever he went. Johnny Appleseed, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois. He introduced apples to all of these areas. And he himself dramatically affected history by sharing Simply sharing what he had, both his seeds and his orchard knowledge. You would think that he would be sick of apples. Because human nature says too much of one thing makes you weary, right? But he wasn't sick ever of them. He didn't loathe them in part because he didn't hoard all of it. He gave it away. Well, beloved, you have fruit this morning. You have fruit Spiritual fruit, eternal fruit, glorious things. Not to mention the material things God has given us. You and I have the opportunity and the ability in the spiritual heart and the spiritual mind to be grateful always for what we have. To survey it, to savor it, and to share it. It seems to me that when God sent fiery serpents to bite his own people, to poison them. And you remember Jesus again lifted up, talked about lifting up himself as the serpent. It seems to me that God is showing us that this is a sin that is egregious to heaven. Loathing your blessings. We talked Wednesday night about first world problems. Oh, it's so sad. My brand new uh, toaster oven doesn't have a bagel setting. That's a first world problem. But we said it's a first world blessing. The problems are actually blessings. That's called loathing your blessings. Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed for just a moment. Brother Scott and I talk about sometimes, Scott Harris and I talk about how before Thanksgiving, I speak usually six months before, three months before, and in this case, 20 days before, on being grateful. Because I don't want us as a church or as a people, I don't want my own self. To go to a date on a calendar and say, okay, it's time to put something on Pinterest or Facebook about being grateful. It's time to stop and and be thankful. I want us to go into that date being grateful and thankful. When God established memorials, it wasn't so that you would wait on that memorial to remember. It was so that the remembering would carry you through to the next time and the next time and the next Pastor Blalock, I'm here today, and I'm saved by the grace of God, but I needed this reminder today. Maybe you haven't been surveying your blessings or savoring them. Maybe you're complaining about things that came straight out of the hand of God. Wow. Fiery serpents is how God feels about it. Pastor Blalock, I'm here today, and I'm saved by the grace of God, but I needed this reminder as a Christian And God is speaking to my heart about something as his child. Would you raise your hand if that's you? Would you raise it? God bless you and God bless you and amen. God loves to bless his people. There's nothing wrong with blessings, riches. Material blessings, spiritual blessings. He giveth us richly all things to enjoy. The sin is when the people say, our soul loatheth this light bread. The sin is not surveying, savoring, and certainly not sharing what God gives us. One of the reasons why some who are listening by live stream or in this room will not be able to stand before God and enter into heaven is because God has given you the opportunity to be saved. There's no greater blessing. Talk about a gift. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God has given you his son to save your sins and your soul. Will you accept it? Have you accepted him? Father in heaven, bless now the invitation. Help us to count our blessings, to consider them. And in so doing, Father, give you glory through the gratitude of our heart and our lips. There's something different about your people. May this be one of them. Bless those who have asked for prayer, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.